Hey everybody, it's Tom here from Warwick House Golf, proud sponsors of the Read It, Roll It, Hold It podcast. Use code RRH10 for 10% off at warwickhouse.golf. You are listening to Read It, Roll It, Hold It. He's two putts from victory. Only needs one. Welcome golfers to the next episode of the Read It, Roll It, Hold It podcast. Today I am super excited. We've got a special guest on the show today. He is the first major champion to come on to the show. Um, he won the 2005 U.S. Open. Um, he's the winner of the 2005 U.S. Open. And um, yeah, he's been 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 around on the tour for a while. And um, yeah, really looking forward to, to catching up with uh, Michael Campbell today. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here and uh, share my stories. Brilliant. Thank you very much. It's, um, yeah, it's, as I said, the first major champion. So I'm like, you know, really excited. And uh, <laughs> I know you're uh, now in the, you've got your own academy in the south of Spain. So I know we share similar sort of uh, interests there with helping golfers and uh, also with nice cars and, and that sort of story. So we'll, we'll talk about that during the show. So uh, happy days. Good. Michael, let's uh, let's start. We've got to start at Pinehurst, two thousand five, winning the U.S. Open, beating Tiger Woods down the stretch. Talk to me your sort of fond memories or your memories of uh, that event back what sixteen years ago now. Oh, that's a long time. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, <coughs> sorry, it's a long story, but um, it all started at this very start of 2005 really um i remember playing in the middle east and you know, dubai and qatar and those places and i was shooting the 80s 82s and missing cuts and my golf game was in really really bad shape so i rang up my coach jonathan yardwood said jonathan i'm coming over to america for five weeks let's do this thing i need some help so it was like a real hard grind so i went i went to i flew to america for five weeks and I saw jonathan and we're grinding on the driving range, you know, eight hours a day for five weeks in a row sort of thing. And we found this golden nugget, uh, I call it. And uh, so I came back to Europe and then all of a sudden I was, you know, finishing top 20, top 10, top fives and coming seconds and thirds. So it's amazing how, uh, it's not really amazing, just one of those things in golf that happens when you get onto a, on, onto a wave of confidence. Um, it really makes you, uh, you know, play well and all that sort of stuff. So... Going into Pinehurst, I was feeling pretty pretty confident, and um, and I said to myself, "Okay, a top ten would be nice because I knew I was playing well enough to you know get into the top ten. And obviously, winning was a, a great bonus. You know, after after three good uh, first rounds or first, second, and third round, I was I was in the hunt. Although Retief Kusum was like probably about four shots ahead, five shots ahead of me going to the last round, and then um, I, I remember. Uh, Powering the first, and I'm sorry, I was one under after seven holes, and he was like seven over after six holes because he's playing behind wow. me, obviously. Yeah, so it was a big turnaround. So I had to kind of switch my mindset to winning it, and um, the rest of the guys fell away. Sergio was there, BJ was there, they kind of fell away, and the only two guys left were myself and Tiger. So uh, that was a, a real fun thing to have, you know, the best player in the world. Um, and myself, I think I was ranked like 86 in the world then uh, during that week of the US Open. 
and to be in, a, in, the, in the ring, you could say, uh, fighting it out was uh, a huge privilege for me. And uh, it was one of those things where I managed to step over the line just before Tiger. And I think I won by two shots in the end. So it was just a, it was an incredible feeling. If you think about it, it was <clears throat> in his height of his, of his career. He just won Augusta in about three months before. He won 10 majors so, and then won the world, obviously, and the best player in the world by far. And then I was obviously the underdog uh, that week, and he was the, obviously the favourite to win, and the crowd was behind him. He was playing in front of me, and I saw every single shot, and it was incredible, the, the electric atmosphere going to the last nine holes. Um, but I managed to uh, play well enough to win by two shots. Wonderful. Great to hear you tell that story. And yeah, I remember watching it and, uh, you know, you were the underdog and I was a massive Tiger fan. So I was rooting for him. I'll be honest with you, <laughs> if I'm honest. I've got to be honest. And um, yeah, you know, it, it was so, so good to see you get, you know, to, to win though and, you know, change your life forever, I imagine. Well, you know, it all goes down to um, your, your, your goals and dreams as a kid. Um, growing up in New Zealand, um, you know, the ultimate goal when I was growing up was to be an All Black. Simple as that. When I was five years old, I started playing rugby and I played many sports. I was very a natural sports person and, you know, playing rugby and basketball, <clears throat> squash, tennis, um, Golf was probably the fifth sport I played. wasn't really uh, a priority in that, on that list. But my number one goal was to be an All Black. And um, I quickly found out I wasn't big enough, strong enough, fast enough. Um, so I decided to focus on other sports. And I gave softball a go and I did okay on that. But uh, golf was, I thought, okay, let's give golf a go. And I took up seriously around 13, 14 years old. I started playing golf at six years old. On a golf course that was a, a farm, uh, the sheep everywhere, it was cows everywhere, um, fences around the greens. So that's how I started playing golf. My father cut down a um, left-handed, left-handed, not right, left-handed uh, golf club, six iron. I'll never forget this. And I was playing left-handed for like probably a year or so. I didn't really like it. So I switched really? over to the right-handed. Yeah. So I switched over to the right-handed and that was it. I was, I was hooked. And um, that's when I realized that uh, golf was my my sport and but it, I think you know to all those parents who are listening right now it's important that you expose your, your children to your kids to all sports and they will decide which one to choose and it took me you know five different sports to choose golf because um, you kind of realize your limitations but all of a sudden golf to me was easy I don't know how to explain that but it was easy to play and and do well so I improved so quickly in a short space of time. So I thought, okay, I'll give this game of golf a crack. And that's when I decided to really delve in or dive into it and, and um, give it in 110%. Love that. It's a great, um, yeah, it's a very important message, isn't it? To, for kids to play all sports. I think quite often kids try and specialize too much, too, too young. And um, a lot of top athletes, a lot of sort of major winners in all sports have uh, played a variety of sports. It's uh, really important, isn't it? Why do you think that is? Um, uh, because I think um, from my own, my own experience, um, you push by the parents too much, maybe. 
these different reasons why. Um, but my parents were lucky enough to let me go and do what I want, wanted to do. And, and uh, it's quite funny. There was one stage I was playing five sports at the same time and they felt like taxi drivers. You know, the, every day was a practice day or, you know, and the weekend was busy playing playing the sport itself, whether it's rugby or, or softball or tennis or golf. So and they said to me, Mark, you've got to choose. Sorry, we can't do this. You've got to choose at least two sports. And so yeah. <laughs> that's when I decided to focus on one because I think I think the child itself has to decide. Um, I mean, when you see uh, kids who just play one sport, um, they burn out very, very quickly. I've seen it so many times. And the burnout... Um, is, is such a short period of time, but when you have the uh, the enjoyment of playing in a team, um, you know, like in softball or rugby or netball or whatever sport you play, it's important to to respect and and the other players as well. So <clears throat> playing in a team sport, because as you know, obviously golf is an individual sport, but playing as a team sport is very very um, important as well to learn about other people's. You know, uh, well, just the managers and then the coaches and stuff like that. It's very, very important to have respect for other people, and and, and for your fellow players as well. But because uh, golf is a very selfish game, I mean, I decided to really dig my heels in uh, at age of fifteen years old, and and that's when I saw less of my friends and I less social. You know, was just so dedicated to, you know. Practice 110. percent I had a good work ethic and with, with no regrets. And um, and to and the, the people <clears throat> people say, you know, what was your why? This is the thing that this this latest on the social media right now. What, what's your why? My why was to be to prove to the world. And this is quite a powerful why um, that Maori people can play golf. Um, I was the first Maori to win the uh, major championship. You know. With lots of firsts for me um, to, to pave the way for other Maori um, golfers as well. So, so <clears throat> yes, I had difficulties um, when I was back home in a lot of uh, doubters. Uh, I thought I was crazy, uh, thinking that I'd be one of the best players in the world. And that to me was a, a huge motivation to prove them wrong, you know. So yes, you're going to get people around you saying that you're not good enough. Um, what you're doing is just a dream world. But I was a dreamer, you know. I always uh, felt when I was 13 years old that I could do well in golf. And if you just have that self-belief, if you're driven, and you know all the all the great stuff, um, it is definitely possible to achieve. I mean, it could be anything, any any sport, you know, whether it's golf or any other sport, or even even work, where it's going to be a I don't know, but um, the possibilities are definitely achievable. And uh, when people tell you you can't do it, it makes me more motivated to actually do well. I love hearing that. The um, is it like that? You say like the the why is that the Maori is the is that like a small I don't know small area, and it's like you feel I don't know you you weren't good enough. What what, what sort of What's the motivation to why that was so important? Well, it's, it's, it's very simple. In, in, in the Maori culture, in the Maori culture, if you within the family circle, you are safe. And it goes back to the tribal era. All right. So if you're surrounded by your people, you're safe. If you think outside the circle, you're on your own. 
So that's where it comes from. So it's been, it's been around, be around the, the Maori culture for a very long time. And I said, no, I want to be this person. And um, lucky enough, I had my mum and dad who were very supportive and saw, saw me and the look in my eyes. I'm thinking, okay, he, he wants to do this. So let's support him. And so that's where it comes from. It's, it's, a, it's a whole tribal culture. That what this way comes from, because it's true. If you you can have a nine to five job, and I'm not saying that people back home right now shouldn't do this, but you can have a nine to five job, have a healthy life, nice family, and fantastic, great. But I knew that I was born on this planet to do something different. It came from my um, nurturing of my grandmother. My grandma and I were very, very close together. I mean, when I remember going to her house when I was 10, eight years old, and and she was a <laughs> she was a um, how can I explain? She was a a witch, not a witch, but in a, in a good way. Uh, she used yeah. to have people come to her house at three o'clock in the morning with some sort of illness. She'll go to the herb garden and bless them and, and give them herbs and and feel better, uh, kind of thing. So she was very spiritual. Uh, very wise um, person, and I remember on many occasions because she used to smoke a lot too much, unfortunately. And I used to help her roll her her cigarettes. We spent hours on philosophy about life, and um, don't forget, I was like ten years old, sitting down rolling her cigarettes like this. And she goes, Michael. She goes to me, you are very special. You will do something in your life that will change people's lives. I'm 10 years old. I'm thinking, what are you talking about, Grandma? You are crazy, you know. But now <laughs> I understand. But now I understand, you know, what, what she meant. But she saw that, you know. It's, it's very hard to explain to people who, who aren't that way. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it was, it was kind of special. And now I always look back on those moments that made me. Because you know, I believe that you are who you are through your past ex- experiences and present experiences, and I think the the reason why I'm who I am right now because of of my um, my grandmother and obviously other people as well, definitely other people as well, not just her. Um, so the accumulation of, of, of people around me uh, that made me who I am today. So um, and what I've become as a as a golfer uh, to be, you know, winning a major was was kind of cool. Thank you for sharing that sort of special moment and that uh, relationship with your your grandmother. That means a lot. Thank you. No, did um, did you? What was her reaction? Did you have a chance to take that trophy back to her, or she she'd gone by then? Yeah, no, she, she passed away when I was sixteen. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. So, um, but I, I knew once again the married people are very spiritual. Um. I'm not sure if you remember, but I remember looking towards after holding the putt on the last hole. I looked towards heavens and and mm. thanked her. You know that uh, for, for for the encouragement, for the, her strength um, to make this possible. Um, so yeah, that was that's a really cool moment. Um, but yeah, she wasn't it, she wasn't there physically, but emotionally and spiritually, she was there definitely. And you've got the trophy there behind you. Can you, for those watching this on YouTube, can we uh, have a look at it? Or does it move? Oh, yeah. Does it not yeah. move? Yeah, sorry, yeah. There we go. 
There we go. There we go, guys. It's the 2005. Yeah, so this, yeah this, is, this is pretty cool because it's actually 9% of the actual size of the trophy itself, the US Open trophy, and um, it's handmade, um, and it has all the all the winners until until me. You can't really see it on on here, but um, you know, the, if you the thing, I, I feel blessed that I'm, I mentioned the same. I mentioned it in the same sentence as all these players. You know, Bobby Locke, Gene Sarazen, uh, 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 obviously Tiger. You got um, Byron Nelson. You've got. Uh, Ben Hogan, you've got uh, Jack Nicholas, you've got uh, Lee Trevino. I mean, I mean, come on, <laughs> you know, you just it, it just goes on. Yeah, Fuzzy Seller, Larry Nelson, Tom Watson, David Graham, Hal Irwin, Payne Stewart, bless his soul, Tom Kite, Ernie Elves, uh, Retief Goosen, Tiger, obviously, Jim Furyk. So Michael Campbell, yeah. How does that make you feel when you pick that up and, and look at it, Michael? Very proud. <laughs> and also what's really cool. You know, it's full of beer. No, it used to be. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is the medal you get with it too. I'm not sure. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Nice little, nice little medal to come with it. Brilliant. Yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's cool. I'm sure your uh, yeah your grandmother would be uh, would have been as you said spiritually she'd been there and uh, and proud uh, proud of you very much so. Just um going back to the event itself on that back nine you know the back nine of a major championship, you know it's down to you and Tiger. Can you remember what the what thoughts were sort of running through your head at that moment and how did you how did you what? keep your shit what? together, man? <laughs> <laughs> My shit together. Um, yeah. Well, I, I think it's okay. It, it, um, let's rewind uh, back in 1995. I was leading the Open at St Andrews after three rounds, and I remember standing on that first first tee in the last round, paired with uh, Constantino Rocco. I was 24, I think 25, leading the Open. It's like, that's pretty cool, right? At St Andrews. That's cool. And and after the round, that's when it hit me saying that I wasn't ready mentally. Yes, I had the physical attributes uh, to, to win a major, but mentally I wasn't ready. So it took me time, another 10 years later, to really uh, fortify or mentally fortify my mind. And uh, that last day, I can never forget this. On the 10th hole, um, Tiger was playing in front of me. And his playing partner, come who it was, uh, Peter, yeah, Peter Hiblum. Yeah, Peter Hiblum was, had, a, had a ruling. He had a way left on the par five in the 10th hole. So I was standing there on the, on the tee for 10 minutes. Okay, that's a long time. It is. It's a long time. And then, and all of a sudden, I drew upon all these mental triggers and uh, I recall one profound kind of statement was from a, from a quote from uh, Bruce Lee, because I used to read a lot of books. 
Um, and it was, I think it was called the Zen, Zen and the Martial Arts by Bruce Lee or something like that. And he, he in this book, he goes on about um, how the mind and the body is water. And as soon as it freezes, that means you're in trouble. So you've got to make sure that the water's flowing through your body, which is the energy. And he also mentions about an empty cup. And it's important that you fill up that cup with water, but positive water. So I was standing there. So th this came from, I read this book uh, probably seven years before the last round of 2005. So I read it in probably 1998, mm -hmm. but I remembered it. So I visualized this empty cup and I was going, you know, I'm good enough. I've practiced hard enough. I'm deserving. So I was pouring all this wonderful, beautiful stuff into my empty cup. And now it was full, overflowing with pos pos positivity. And, and it was very empowering. And uh, so I remember uh, it was that. And then also there was... Uh, once again, I think it was my grandmother talking to me. Um, during the last nine holes, Tiger, I think, made like four, four birdies or something like that. And he, he knew, like, these, these are a birdie roar and a Tiger roar. It's so different. You know, you can tell. Every time it's a good shot, it's just, yeah, you can really hear it. Okay. And I remember... Something uh, the golfing guys spoke to me. I don't know, but every time that he hit a good shot, and the, the crowd went crazy, I, I was tipping tipping my hat. You know, I was like, "Go, thank you, like that." And my, my caddy said to me, "My caddy Sponge um, said to me, what are you doing?'" Cambo, well, one nickname's Cambo, Michael. And I said, "Well, I'm deflecting." <laughs> this sounds crazy. But it, it came from, I don't know where it came from, maybe my grandmother. So I'm deflecting the energy that the crowd's giving to Tiger to me. Wow. <laughs> so that's, I love I it. Mean, though. And so, so every time he made a great swing or hit it close, a birdie putt, I was, absorb I was imagining absorbing the, the energy from the crowd, which made me feel you know, invincible. So there you go. Sounds pretty crazy, wow, but it's it worked. Crazy, but it's incredible what sort of the mind believes the body achieves. Absolutely, um, I, I believe that you manifest what you what you think. Um, you know, because you are your own uh, director of your movie, and uh, you, you choose your words, your thoughts. And I chose wisely the last nine holes. Every single word, like every single step I took. I said, I'm good enough. I'm good enough. Every breath, positive in, negative out. You know, these, these are simple things. It's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. And it leads to your life as well, not just golf. You know, every morning I wake up and <laughs> this might sound, sound crazy, but I go right foot first, left foot. Always right foot, left foot. And I yeah. go, today, I'm going to put my right foot down. It's a great day. I love it. You know, it's, it's all about affirmations. It's all about just, you know, telling yourself, not in the future, it's now. Because the point of power is in the now. 
Let me talk to you right now. They're giving these messages to these people who are listening right now. It's the same thing. Mm. Totally. I'm sort of very fast uh, learning very quickly here, Michael, that you're not just the reason that you're great. It's not just because of your great golf swing or golf ball striking or putting. It's, it's, you're a wonderful thinker and a wonderful mind. Yeah. Well, the thing is <clears throat> at first, I mean, cause obviously I learned along the way, no question. Um, at first I thought it was purely just if you work hard enough, you will achieve great things, which is correct. But you need a combination of lots of things. Being happy, being healthy, you know, that, that kind of leads to um, success as well. So there's, there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that people don't see, you know, a lot of things. And uh, I, I enjoy psychology. I'm not an expert. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I'm not an expert. I'm not, I'm, don't, I'm not even close to a, to a, to a qualified psychologist. I'll, that's another level, but um, just through ever since I came, when I came third, I finished, finished third at the uh, 95 uh, Open at St Andrews. I realized I need something more than just a golf swing. And I thought, okay, I need to accumulate some sort of mental tools in my toolbox because I knew that um, mentally I wasn't strong enough. So that's when I, I accumulated, started reading books about psychology. You know, Louise Hay, How to Heal Your Life, um, Bruce Lee books. You know, I read a lot of books. And then over time, you you know, you accumulate these these little snippets and, or, or triggers. And I had to use all of them on the last day at the US Open at Pinehurst. <laughs> Great. You managed to get them out at the right time. The, um, the sort of thing that's going through my mind there is, my mind's gone blank, but what was I going to say? Something really interesting, clearly, Michael. Um, anyway, I'll come back to it. Jesus, that was a that's a. Oh, come on, mate! This is your first time you've uh, you've you've lost for words here, huh? Lost for words, yeah. You 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 are blowing my mind away. You know, it's good. It's really really good. Well, um, see, see, I, I think the most important thing, most important thing that um, I really enjoy about these podcasts is you see me in, in a different kind of, of um, way because now I'm trying to teach people how to do it. I'm not saying this is going to change your, your, your life or it's going to change how you play golf, but if it helps you 1% or 2% to be a better person or to play better golf, I'm happy. I think you're a mind reader as well because that's exactly what I was going to – that's what I was trying to say is how – are you? Do you feel like being a coach now? You can transfer what you've learned and pass on that, you know, that positive mindset, being in the present. Call it whatever you want. That um, these techniques of filling the cup up to, to on onto your students. Well, that's it's one thing that's very interesting. Very good point there because um, obviously I've been in player for such a long time, and now I switched over to a coach. And my philosophy is holistic. You know, it's it's more than just swinging it right. You know, mm. to get yourself in the right positions and track man numbers, all that stuff. It's, it's it's part of it, but it's not the whole package. So you know, I'm teaching a lot of young kids now, and so my I'm not saying the coaches these days don't know what I'm talking about, but because I've been there, I've been in the heat of the battle. 
it's it's for me it's easier to kind of like um verbally tell them what to do yeah. when you get to those situations um you've been there and done had, it right yeah yeah so i'm not i'm, I'm not a uh, i know my my stuff on on the golf swing not as much as you know all the great swing coaches don't get me wrong i'm not a uh, a swing coach like uh, Ledbetter or David uh, or uh, Butch Harmon or those guys, you know, Sean Foley, Jonathan Yellwood. You know, these guys are just magnificent. Um, but my approach is a piece of everything, you know, uh, from a from an instructional point of view and also from a playing point of view. So this is a nice combination. And most of my stuff really is based on you know how how to get around and how to play and keeping the present time, it's more of a mental and also mentoring. That's what I'm looking for, mentoring uh, for these young kids. Um, inspiring, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, inspiring. And and the thing is that because I've, I'm, I'm not a fully qualified teacher, but I think they respect what I say because I've been there and done that and experienced it. And, you know, and uh, I just, uh, I made mistakes along the way, no question at all. We'll make mistakes, but um, I think when you make mistake, when you fail, for example, it's a signal for growth. You know, it's one of those things where, if you if you think about it, okay, here's here's something that's quite interesting, um, which I saw just recently on on um, social media. Uh, Tiger, Tiger, right, best player in the world by you know, in the modern era, his yeah. win percentage is twenty something percent. Mm-hmm. So he's failed more times than he's succeeded. Interesting, huh? Then the Not next many one was that way. No, no. Uh, look at Formula One, for example. You know, Max and, and Lewis Hamilton. Um, and then you get uh, Dustin Johnson was like, well, no, it was I can't remember. John Rahm was like seven or something percent. So there you go. I mean, people, the kids out there today, they have to accept you're going to fail. I know it's a very horrible you word to use, but it's you gotta you gotta you know say okay, it's it's a fact. Yeah. No question, it's a fact. You, you're gonna fail more times. You're gonna succeed, but when you fail, you gotta look at it as a positive thing. It's a signal for growth. When you face adversity, and you get over that that hump or that wall. You're growing as a as a as a person and as, as a golf player. It's the same thing. Totally, totally agree. Do you think a lot of that mindset that you've gathered over the years has come from the all blacks or being an all black or not? I don't know. Do you class yourself as an all black? Maybe not, but I don't know. But anyway, I'm was. a big fan, a big fan of the all blacks and and you know their their I think their ethos and their um, no dickheads rule and their what's the word mantras they have uh, are really special. Is that something you've studied or read? And yeah, I mean, I, I read the book Legacy. Um, Legacy, uh, that's a wonderful yeah. book. Yeah, wonderful book. So, and I was lucky enough to meet um, a lot of the All Blacks over the time and talk to them about it. Um, <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a funny story about uh, Dan Carter and I. Uh, I was lucky enough to get invited to um, uh, one of their training sessions. And I'm watching Dan Carter's back in 2005 when they're playing against the, um, the Lions. 
And I just won the US Open, so they invited me back to the changing room, that sort of stuff. And so I said to Dan Carter, I said, Dan, what do you think about when you when you kick? His odd oh, rhythm. I can't remember what he said to me. I said, Have you ever thought about kicking the ball and seeing the ball go through the air in, in real time? I said, What do you mean? I said, in real time. And um, so we had this conversation. It was, he was lovely about it. And then, you know, fast forward, and it was the World Cup quarterfinals in Wales, in, in Cardiff, right? 2016, I think it was. I can't remember. So this is nine that? years later. Were you there? Yeah. yeah. What, a, what a great game. What a, what a great game that was. So once again, I was invited to the captain's run on Friday, uh, the day before the, uh, the test match. And, going through their processes and doing their stuff. And um, they invite me on the pitch and I'm, I'm watching um, Dan kicking. And he saw me, he goes, oh, Michael, Michael, Michael. I said, what? He goes, I'm still visualizing in real time. So, <laughs> so no once again, yeah. So, you know, after the conversation, it's all about sharing information. And yes, there's a lot of bad information out there. But I was lucky enough to to experience, you know, what you know you were saying before about the respect for other players and stuff like that, and no no bullshit. Uh, I asked questions as well about, you know, how do you perform, and how do you, I asked everyone whether it's going to be, you know, rugby players, rugby league players, or whether it's going to be sports people, other sports people. It's all about sharing information, and um, it, it was kind of cute that he remembered that I said to him, you know. Visualize the rugby ball in real time going through the goalposts. So <laughs> that was kind of fun. That's cool. Uh, he was on a podcast on the High Performance podcast um, recently, and uh, he he mentioned something similar on there about. Uh, I need to get this right, but it was it was to do with like if he'd missed a kick, so the failure, and he was talking about how he was very good at overcoming missing and it was just going back to the process right what's my job what's my job what's my job and uh yeah it's uh he's a, it, a good see man. this it's this one thing that people gotta understand with, with all sports it's all about a process you gotta be process um uh, driven rather rather than results driven uh that's one thing i've always done when i was playing if you do your process right more than likely the result will be okay will be good, right? And all you can do is, is, is <clears throat> dedicate 110% to all the processes in place. <clears throat> and then if it doesn't come off, you know, you, you, you did your best. <clears throat> and um, I haven't got COVID, by the way. I'm fine. I just had a test about two days ago. Um, but <clears throat> I can't catch it through uh, Zoom, so don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, I, think, I think we're fine. But... Um, I mean, I, I remember speaking to um, Stephen Hendry, and I said Hendry, well, um, uh, the previous uh, coach. Oh my God, you kill me for this. Um, Graham Henry. Great, thank you, Graham Henry, about it. And uh, he said that always, every person on that field's got a job to do. <coughs> if they follow their process, we'll be fine. It's a saying with with golf as well. Yeah. So talking of lows or dealing with. Um, the bad times through 2009-2012 your form uh, plummeted would that be fair I don't know if there was injuries involved in that time as well Um, but talk us through 
that time and how you managed to deal with with that? Well, um, I think I think what happened there is that uh, for me, I, I climbed my Everest. You know, I climbed the highest peak in the world. I won a major. And then I devoted my attention on other things like raising money for charity and you know, I practiced less. I, I was... <laughs> it's when you win a major, it changes your life in many, many ways, and a good way. And mm. I, I take full responsibility. So I, I used to play like 27 events a year. I was down to 15. I didn't practice as much. I, because um, I knew that I had the, the chance to, to make a difference. So my golf came secondary, uh, basically. That was it. You know, I didn't go to the gym as much. All those things. Did, did it bother me? No, not at all. You know, because I, I climbed my breast. I mean, you can't go high in there, can you? Uh, so that was my only. Yeah, yeah, that's all it was. And then I was expecting a different answer. If I'm honest, not knowing you, I was thought you were going to tell me, you know, the the sob story or you know what the injuries and then whatever it is. But it was actually a choice. Yeah, of course it was. Of course it was. It was a choice that I made pretty much after I won. Um, that. You know, I, I would love to win another major and three or four majors, whatever. But, you know, I just thought I poured all that time and energy into one. And obviously I was very more confident, you know, as, as a player and, and the respect from the peers was fantastic. And, and what I received was accolades from all the other players it was incredible. But I was, I was done. You know, I was, that's it. And it didn't bother me because yeah. the thing that you understand Understand that you know I I play golf to change what well, first things to make a difference, which I have a little bit back at home in New Zealand, um, and also you know once I made it because I want to spend more time with my kids and my kids were at the age of you know 12, 10, 12 years old, my two boys and they were more important to me than <clears throat> than going and winning golf tournaments. I mean that's why I really admire like guys like Tiger and how they keep on going, keep on going. They just how he gets up, you know, every week he gets up. And he only plays 15 events a year. And and he wins well, and he wins 20% of them. So, you know, it was my choice. And I decided to back off, you know, I took, I took my foot off the accelerator and decided just to enjoy life. But, cool. but 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 now I'm 50. Oh man. I was gonna say, what's 2022 on the legends tour? What's that? Why are you doing that then? Because I, I miss competing. I miss competing. That's one thing that's uh, it's missing right now. And uh, I want it back. And after what, eight year break, I think it is, or nine year break, I decided to jump in the, the deep end again and, and give it a go and see how it goes and have some fun. It's a little bit different. You know, it's only three rounds of golf. You're having fun with guys you competed against when you're in your prime. Like guys like Mickelson and Goose and, and uh, Ernie Owls and BJ are out there right now, Darren Clark, Padraig Harrington. So all, all my mates are out there playing and I want to join the join the party, you could say. Love it. Brilliant. Great stuff. Michael, just um, conscious of your time, but I've got five minutes to talk about putting. 
I'm waiting. I'm waiting. You, you've got five minutes for putting chat. Why, why are you laughing so much about putting? Is that not your favourite part of the game or it is your favourite part? My best part of my game, mate. Why? Because it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> so the other 99.9% of golfers in the world don't potentially find it easy. So what makes you so good? What do you do so well? Um, keeping it simple. Um, uh, for me, <clears throat> I remember having a conversation with Tiger, actually. And this is what changed my whole putting. Now, I think I won like the putting stats on the European Tour probably about five times. Yeah. <clears throat> Four times. I can't remember exactly, but I was always up there. And um, it was like 1998, I think it was. I saw him somewhere. We got chatting about putting. And I asked him, so what do you think about putting? Uh, Tiger's, oh, I paint the picture. I said, no, nah, give me more stuff than that. Paint the picture. He said that to reporters and on the TV. I want more in-depth, you know, details. He goes, well, I, I see the ball go in the hole in real time. Thought, that's it. That's the answer. I said, what? I said, I said so, what do you mean by real time? He goes, well, for example, if you've got a 10 footer, by the time you hit the ball and by the time it goes in the hole, it takes 1.8 seconds, depending on the speed of the greens. So he looks down and he visualizes the, the ball going in the hole at 1.8 seconds. Wow. So I use that for the rest of my career. And, you know, I haven't tried cross-handed or the saw or long putter. I've always had the short putter, conventional grip. But I use that, that his, his philosophy about um, seeing the ball go in the hole real time. And it's helped me a lot to be in the moment and also with distance control. Because it's, it's hard to do, don't you? Because you see a lot of am- – I see it all the time when I'm playing programs. Amateurs just look really quickly. Yeah. Like that. That's a waste of time. If you look and take 1.8 seconds uh, on a 10-foot putt that's running at, say, 10 on the slip meter, it's going to take, I think, two seconds, I think it was, from the time you hit it to the time it goes in the hole. You should try it. Definitely. Uh, yeah, 100%. absolutely love that. It's And you're passing on that, that wisdom to Dan Carter to become, well, to maybe help a little bit to... Uh, What's well, so the thing? So, so it's one I'm passing it on because I got it from Tiger and I pass it on to him. Um, he said he used it, which is fantastic. But you know, it's it's really simple stuff. It's not it's not rocket science. And I've always had a good stroke. Um, as I said, I haven't tried any other kind of methods. Um, I was good enough where I was. So, really, I've got a question from one of. Uh, one of my uh, um, one guy I coach, Jack Fowl, who's a very good golfer down in Somerset, and um, he wants to know what is your favourite drill pre-round on the putting green. Distance control. It's and how and what is it? <laughs> what would you do? Um, well, the first thing I do was close close eyes, so I have like a twenty footer. Close my eyes, hit it, and tell guess whether it's going to be two feet short or two feet short uh, long, or 
Brilliant. hold high. And once I get that feel of the pace, because as you know, you know, pace is the most important thing. You can choose a line, but pace is the most important thing. And once I get that, I, I choose an uphill downhill putt uh, from 20 feet again. So I hit close, close eyes, um, hit a 20 foot uphill and guess the, where the ball ends. And then a turnaround downhill and do the same thing. And guess where the ball ends. And that's quite challenging. Mm. So once I get the pace of the greens right, um, I'm pretty much uh, away. Dialed in. Love that. Brilliant. Michael, talking to you has been an absolute pleasure. I've loved every <laughs> single minute of that. I can't believe where time has gone. Um, I've asked, what, three out of 12 questions on my list but there we are you know that's always the way it goes we, we went to a place perhaps I didn't expect us to go um you know there's so many nuggets to take away there to to practice putting with your eyes closed to visualize what a good putt looks like in real time um I'm definitely going to to use that term thank you very much Michael Pleasure. and Tiger and Dan and um and my favorite nugget is deflecting the energy chung, yeah. Chung, from you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually felt like I actually felt like um, um, what's the word? In a, in, you know, in Star Wars, you know, in Star yeah. Wars, when, when um, you got the lightsaber, right? And uh, I was pretending that this uh, <laughs> going to sound crazy, but that, that uh, Tiger's um, uh, putter or club was a lightsaber, and you know how the lasers come and deflects off. You know the lasers yeah. in Star Wars. Well, I was. This is going to sound crazy, but I was pretending that the wind, the the shot that deflects off the lightsaber, went to me. <laughs> so, anyway, this this another. It's this magic, another. though. It's honestly <laughs> the biggest golden nugget I've had on the podcast for a long time. So, oh, good, yeah, good, good, really, really good. So, thank you very Great. much uh, for coming Pleasure. on, and uh, wish you all the best for twenty twenty two on the uh, on the on the on tour. Thanks, mate. I want to say that I really enjoyed this chat and uh, it's nice to share my knowledge with other people because it's all about just making people better and whether it's going to be there in golf or any other sport or even with their, with their life. So, good. Really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, you're a really kind guy. Thank you. <laughs>